Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combating modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. And we wanted to talk about perimenopause. Yeah, which was kind of turned into, it's interesting that the we call it menopause more, even though that's one day, but perimenopause, as we're looking at this, researching this, it's 10 plus years. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I had a counselor once who thought that they were turning it into something that was marketable. They being, I guess, someone who had something to sell you. <laughs> um, that's correct for a lot of medical things that we have. <laughs> yes. Um, and as we were putting the information together for this, I was thinking about, well, is it perimenopause or is it just inflammation? Is it just aging? And everybody, male or female, can go through these things um, just because of the passage of time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's a really great, like what people can put in the back of their mind because we have like this obsession with diagnosing things and putting labels on things. And, and it's easy to say, Oh, it's menopause. And then, you know, then there's the joke about men having the manopause, you know, and you're like, but there's no, but that's not, you know, they do find that there are things are changing, but we don't have a clinical term for that. Um, So because inflammation is broad and vague. It is. Uh, so I said, let's talk about this because of a chat I had with my daughter-in-law um, about the topic. And she found a book with a hilarious title, What Fresh Hell Is This? by Heather Karina. And, <laughs> and she already, she at, uh, um, my daughter-in-law somewhere in a uh, near 40 and um, she's started to have like super night sweats, you know, where, where everything gets soaked. So she got very interested and she has a great sense of humor and grabbed this book. And I read the intro to this book and I thought she made quite a strong and persuasive statement about her own experience 
with with it or being in these years prior to menopause. Um, and it just has kind of an awful health history. And I think it's a story that we hear repeatedly where women just don't get the help that they need to have optimal health mm-hmm. and end up with lots of things that can be going wrong um, in, their, in their health, you know, chronic pain, poor sleep, poor, you know, mood disorders, uh, chronic fatigue symptoms. Go on, and as this lady wrote out her her story, it's like, oh my gosh! And this could this can be related to the fact that she's female, and nobody's looking at it from that perspective of how do we have optimal. Um, I, you know, the word that comes to mind is sexual health, but it's not really about sex. It's about our um, femininity. <laughs> and you can even say like sexual health is just women's health. I mean, menopause in definition is about the changing of our ability to reproduce. So, you know, that is underneath that and the essence of it, you know, so I think that's appropriate to say too. And going back to like what you're saying about, you know, because uh, being women or being female, that there isn't, that perspective is lost and, you know, it might be really surprising to a lot of people, but majority of any type of research is usually done through a university which then if anyone has taken psychology 101, like you had to volunteer as an assignment to be a research subject. And, you know, in the past, now it's changing, but in the past it was always, you know, 20 something white men who they were doing these research studies on. And well, they can't, you know, for a cisgendered person, they can't test menopause in, 20 year old white men, you know? <laughs> so um, yes, the landscape of college is changing. And so there's more women involved, but they're also mostly 20 year old women. So cisgender <laughs> women. So it's like, well, we can't really study menopause either. So, and the people who would be studying for menopause, they don't have time to do a research, to participate in research. Um, so it's, it's definitely multi-layered and um, multifaceted and lots, lots. And honestly, I guess, I mean, this is my cynical side coming out, but, you know, if we improve the symptoms of menopause, then no one will make money off of the things that will help you with menopause and the medical complex, you know, industrial complex. Yeah, that's and again that's a cynical way to think of it and unfortunately when you've seen it enough times like you start becoming cynical about it so yeah well and so we can give the benefit of the doubt that people may be well intended but the the road to hell is paved with good intention (laughs) 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 um so you're coming at this discussion from the point of view of preparing, preparing for a test and gathering the base knowledge of what is considered necessary for you to be an expert in, in pelvic health. And, and I'm focusing these days on Ayurveda and, and studying that. And it, a lot, there's a lot of classic Ayurvedic literature dedicated to sexual health. And even then it was about men. (laughs) Well, and also with the WCS, with the board certification, like we had to read 20 articles and four chapters of a book regarding childbearing years and pregnancy and postpartum. And there was one article for menopause 
and no chapters dedicated for menopause in this book. And so again, like even something that's considered board certified for women's health, you know, you're, we're not even talking about something that lasts maybe just as long or longer of, as a menstrual cycle or childbearing years. Yeah. Um, so it's oh, I, uh, when I got my board certification, I said, my takeaway was they knew nothing about women's health in the medical complex, except how to get a baby out without the mom and the baby dying. Yes. <laughs> Which is important. And it is important. important. How to get pregnant when it's hard to get pregnant and then how to have that baby and not have it. So that might happen, what, two times in your life, but menopause is forever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Menopause. yeah, we want that. Yeah, those 10 years are, I mean, 40 40 to 50, we're talking. And that really you could, you, you could prepare to have this nice menopause. So, um, and that should probably start at age 35. And so, it, yeah, they, uh, the most, the most recent stat that I saw that perimenopause, which is means like around menopause and menopause is technically the one <laughs> the one day that is your 12 months free of having a menstrual cycle. Um, but that can last eight to 10 years prior to that one day. And it's usually in your forties, but can start in your mid thirties. So yeah, like we have to start thinking about it in our mid thirties. Yeah. It's kind of a silly definition. The one day, mm-hmm. um, the, and, and also how it's that's the, some of the problems that are treated that are leading up. So heavy periods, well, um, ablations, uterine ablations became popular where they cauterize the inside of the, the uterus and okay, so then you're not bleeding, but why were you bleeding so heavy? Yeah, it's <laughs> going to go somewhere else. And that hasn't been addressed. So that allows something out of balance in the system to continue and continue its mischief. Yep. Um, and so we, we haven't helped that woman. And trying to get 35-year-old women interested in thinking about transitioning into no periods um, is not, you know, it's hard to get their attention. Oh, but, yeah. Well, because yeah. people are having babies later, like even for myself, like, um, I just turned 31 and we aren't planning to have children for another year. So that puts me to 32 for beginning to start like one, like for the first time. Right. And that means three years at 35, I'm supposed to think about menopause. Like, mm-hmm. no, I'll just, you know, we'll have, you know, we'll hopefully have one and hopefully two and then You'll be in the midst of, you know, yeah, babies yeah, and yeah, exactly. not in the f- forefront. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Well, and you know, if I, th- this, <laughs> this conversation is random, but that, <laughs> that's fine. Actually, that is a strategy I have for working with my post-menopause brain. All that good information is in there that I put in there in my younger years. It just comes out in random order. <laughs> Yeah. And it works fine. <laughs> well, so conversations are always so all over, which is re- natural and it's real. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, when I don't let that happen, then the trains of thought are just, there's a lot of stopping. They just come to a standstill. Um, okay. So this Ayurveda thing, they, uh, um, they look at the tissues. They have seven tissues of the body. And there's this process called Datu Parinama, which is how your body processes the food. And so the, the food comes in and it takes out the um, Ahara Rasa and that converts to Rasa, which is the first tissue, which translates to plasma. And, um, and, uh, and then it goes... Rakta, which is the blood, mamsa, muscle, medo, uh, fat, asti, bone, maja, 
um, the filling that things that fill the spaces so the marrow, but also the nervous system. And then um, the shukra, the, the reproductive. And so what demonstrates optimal health is an optimal functioning reproductive system. So this stuff that's happening in four at 40, 35 and 40, where things are faltering can be, could assign that this process is not going well. Sense. Yeah. So how it's, you know, they're saying seven layers and, and they're all intertwined, right? They're not individual layers. They're part of one larger system that has seven parts. Yeah, exactly. And they build on each other. And if these base levels are not healthy, you don't have healthy um, sexual material, you know? So it comes back to, you got to take good care of your health. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very common for women in those childbearing years uh, to just be way overwhelmed. It, the, and it hasn't changed since I was a mother. I think, I don't even know, but, you know, I check in with my mother, but uh, who's no longer alive, so we can't do it. But I think there's been, there's always been pressure on women to raise the kids and keep the home. And then we add an outside job onto it. Um, you and I share someone we're seeing that um, really talented person, lots of great ideas, wants to do every one of them and is augering into the ground with overdoing and trying to, to keep up with all these, these things that she wants to do. Yeah, I think her like statement was like, I can't say no. And which is a fascinating thing to think about. Like there's so much pressure on you that, and so much conditioning that has happened in your, how many 30 plus years of life that you can't, like you truly deeply think that you can't say no. And there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to there's a lot of, you know, not to use the same word again, but lots of layers, you know, associated with that. And, um, but unfortunately that's probably the majority of people, not the minority of people. Yeah. We, we, there's a expectation that I will make everyone around me happy. Mm Um, yeah. So once in my counseling, I, I don't, I said to my, um, uh, counselor, you know, oh, I would just die if people didn't like me. If I knew somebody didn't like me, I would just die. <laughs> and she's like, whoa, you're in for trouble because at any time, it, 20% of the people are not going to like you, you, no matter what you do. <laughs> that's, a, that's a low percentage. <laughs> <laughs> Even, you know, I don't know what you could who you examples you could use, but you know, what wonderful people doing great things in the world and 20% of the people aren't going to like them anyway. Um, so, uh, we're, we're conditioning. I want to say women are conditioned to be people pleasers, but I don't want to just, I I know that that happens to some men too. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I have this conversation plenty of times with women and that seems to be a common thing and then men's it's like different it's you know they're people pleasing in the form of like the provider right like I'm gonna please the people around me by providing them with opportunities and so it's a different form of people pleasing whereas like women it's more like um here's the 10 items on my list like look what I did you know um so it's like a kind of a different form of people pleasing. That's true. I, I remember a male coworker. I saw his to-do list one day. I had three things on it and mine had like 20. Yeah. 
exactly. So we're, and that points to exhausting the nervous system. And when we exhaust the nervous system, we'll see this, this start of degradation in the, our um, sexual reproductive tissues and, um, and in that nervous system. So, you know, the profuse sweating at night, the um, heavy periods, pain, inflammation, the, all the causes of inflammation. Um, yeah, there's some other signs too that people might not think about, like mood changes, uh, cholesterol changes, like increasing LDL and decreasing HDL, um, osteoporosis risk. It's an interesting thing too. And like, so essentially in, in perimenopause, like the amount of estrogen is depleting, right? And the more that it depletes, the more then we're not ovulating and, and stuff like that, like in the re reproduction section. But also estrogen is so protective against other diseases like heart disease and stroke and um, osteoporosis and depression. And it's amazing then that that protection, it's like that layer of armor is shutting away. Um, and that's why after menopause, the mortality rates of certain diseases are equal in men and women, despite we thinking that, you know, heart disease is, you know, a man's problem, but really it's both because we no longer have that estrogen to protect us. So it's amazing yeah. how, what estrogen can do for you in the long term. Uh, someone had a website, I think it was 34menopausesymptoms.com or something like that. And then, then that website got grabbed onto and people put the list on their site because it's a great list. Cause we always think of, of this, and, and I'll say menopause, but it's the perimenopause. You'll see these things leading up to, um, we think of hot flashes, but there's also, by the way, temperature dysregulation. So like you're, you can't, you're either too hot or too cold. You can't hold steady state, um, irregular periods, vaginal dryness, fatigue, hair loss, skin changes, sleep disorders, um, difficulty concentrating, memory losses, dizziness, changes in weight distribution, incontinence. They're trying to change um, or provide a label of like menopause-related incontinence, or I, right? I can't remember the name of the syndrome, but they're making it a syndrome. Um, bloating, allergies, brittle nails, change in odors. I had to change my... Um, deodorant. Like it just quit working. It was incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> and uh, onward. Oh, the, yeah. And the mood stuff of uh, my favorite burning tongue. I actually had a patient once who, when I said that, she's like, I had that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so these are, I think all signs that the systems are out of equilibrium. Mm -hmm. And um, so I guess we're, we're making the point that these problems show up early. Mm -hmm. They're a reflection of, of our own um, either overdoing it, uh, no time to think of, our, of yourself to, to, uh, and a loss of those daily health habits that can lead to these imbalances that we're then going to call perimenopause. Mm -hmm. um, so what have you been finding in your reading in preparing for the test about this? What was the one article? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me pull it up real quick. Well, and actually the article was more regarding um, what are your dog is hilarious i know <laughs> I'm, gonna have to, I'm like trying to make him not 
snore, but <laughs> he's got a big, uh, um, he's got a little nose. And so uh, it, then he snores really loud. Uh, <laughs> it's getting worse too, which is, he's, I don't know. <laughs> he, oh wait, I just. In menopause. <laughs> darn it okay so the only article we had was health issues for menopausal women the top 11 conditions have common solutions so um they break down the 10 so that is um Depression, dementia, sleep disturbances, chronic respiratory disease, cancer, musculoskeletal diseases, migraines, cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, and diabetes. That's a wonderful list. <laughs> it is. So, you know, that's what I was talking about, how, um, you know, estrogen is that protector over all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and then, but yet like estrogen also increases some risks of other things too. So it's an interesting hormone, despite the necessary aspect of it. Um, it it's protective, but also can increase risk of other things too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I gained great appreciation for estrogen when I lost a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, I, at one point, a couple of years ago had an excess of estrogen in this respect of a ratio compared to progesterone and how, um, myself, I was out of imbalance and, but thankfully I knew that you know, what I was going through was not normal. And so I was able to get some help and, um, and things that have been great since then. Um, and I'm thankful I had a practitioner that, you know, was okay, um, with navigating all of that. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting too. And I think like, um, a lot of like the recent studying I've been doing, um, not just with for the WCS, but some other courses that I've taken. And it talks about how, like, the, the advice that we give people, despite the well intentions and in the scheme of things, is all that do no harm, we're actually harming people then, like, in the long run, right? So, a lot of times, you know, we don't tell women to like, exercise and especially like strength training and stuff like that um because we're afraid of like hurting a baby during pregnancy or we're afraid of not being able to um produce enough breast milk with when we're breastfeeding and we're afraid of um prolapse and all of that like during the childbearing years but not doing those things at that time will then increase your risk of heart disease, diabetes, uh, osteoporosis, um, arthritis, which are all inflammatory uh, uh, diagnoses. So it's like this, like, yeah, we think we're helping people at this point, but you know, we're not, again, we're not just a snapshot at that time. Like we're a whole person that hopefully lives a long amount of years. And we want all those years to be as pain-free and as disease-free as possible. So it's just, it's interesting that I'm seeing like this trend of, you know, doing no harm, quote unquote, doing no harm early on because it's just easier to say no, but then in the long term, like all those things, all those 10 things that I just talked about, like maybe not all of them are preventable, but we can at least make 
our ability to handle those things and become more resilient, um, maybe stave them off for longer. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's, you know, it's hard, it's hard not to get cynical, you know, again, about what we're experiencing. I don't know if it's any better, but the last time I looked at what is the medical approach to managing menopause, and actually I found, I was at a conference. So I found this um, algorithm app where you could put in, you know, these are the symptoms, this is what you do, this is what you do. And, and it was, you know, how to apply medical treatment to the process of menopause, perimenopause. And it was a wait and see model. That's all the help that they could offer until they offered hormones. And, um, you know, they, they, they're throwing hormones on a system. (laughs) It's, it's like just adding more spice until you can make something palatable. It's, it's just not, uh, it's not getting to root cause. I don't think, because the body will produce what it, what it needs. I, I also think that this process of, of moving towards being in the state of no periods is a, is a survival uh, mechanism. It's how we can live longer. Um, It's not a negative thing. So we want to, just as we want to help women have pain-free periods that are three to five days and done, we want to help women sail through this time uh, with a few strategies that help them keep their systems functioning well. And that menopause is, is a blip on the screen. My mother, so she she was alive today would be 95 and she made it to 92. And, um, she, she maybe had a couple of hot flashes. That was it. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think that was so like she was a dancer for like her entire life, right? And she well, she was an actress. She, oh, okay. she loved to act. So she, and but she wasn't a big exerciser uh, for its own self. Mm-hmm. She you know, make sure I show you the picture of my mother. <laughs> and we're uh, we're going through my father's house right now, and my sister's finding all these pictures. And there's this picture of my mom at sixty two in a bikini. I mean, I stopped wearing them in my. Tw- I, I don't think I ever went out in public in a bikini. <laughs> like she looks fabulous. She just was, uh, you know, didn't, didn't have to, to work at her figure, you know, but she, she was active in her home life, you know, and went for walks and, you know, anyway, she, she also, you, you know, she grew up in a time where food was local and at, you didn't have natural foods or organic foods because everything was natural and organic. We didn't need a special category for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and our pop, our timeline, there's so many more, you know, chemicals in the environment, um, xenoestrogens, which are things that mimic estrogen when they enter our system. And it's a good segue to talk about how, like, how I mentioned earlier that, you know, I, in per ratio of my other hormones, like estrogen was elevated and, um, it's amazing how not only like, could your body just be out of whack, you know, or out of balance, but yeah, there are things that mimic estrogen, which then attaches into the gallbladder and attaches, um, to other uh, organs in our body and, um, and not only pesticides, but I think like BPA, which is a type of plastic, um, yeah, foods like it can be in skincare products. Like that's why parabens are a thing or the, um, benzophenone and sunscreens. Um, it can be in industrial um, products and plastics, Mm -hmm. um, it can be in food, mm-hmm. butylated hydroxy anisol, BHA, a food preservative. It can be in insecticides. And um, if 
Xeno is spelled X-E-N-O. So if people look up xenoestrogens online, usually you can find a list and you, you can go through your products that you use and, you know, start um, el eliminating that stuff mm -hmm. um, to reduce your exposure. Uh, yeah, I was, I, we can talk about approach. I did a, I'm, I have a workshop called Mastering Menopause. So if anyone listening to this wants me to do it, I love to do this workshop. And me and uh, Judy, or I should say Judy Dirks and I, so Judy is a mental health counselor. She and I um, did this together. And Shona Craig also has been a part of it. Um, where we looked at using um, yoga and and Ayurveda now I want to bring in more to, um, and, and mental health, you know, how do we use our thinking to help us through this time? Um, and we, so balancing, supporting balance was one of the first things. And that's, I should say the bringing in the naturopath, bringing in the acupuncturist or the Ayurvedic doctor or the mental health counselor, not just the medical doctor, you know, to remember that the medical doctor is there for pathology, not for prevention. And, and that's okay that they're that way. If we try to use them for prevention, that's where we're going to get in trouble. Um, and I, for myself, um, a friend of mine had said when I was in the thick of it, there was like two years that were pretty awful. Um, and I, she said, it, she said, well, it'll be two years and then you'll feel better. <laughs> and that, that was helpful. And she had used acupuncture. So I used acupuncture and I went at first, I went like twice a week for six weeks and then once a week for a year. And that's not all paid by insurance. It was a big investment, but you know, at the end of that year, I, my men, my symptoms of menopause were like or perimenopause were like 50% better and my allergies were gone mm. and they've never been, it's been 10 years. They've never been back. Nice. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, and that I really gave it a chance to work. I think that's the deal. That's definitely, that's the hard part I think is keeping the consistency and if I've learned anything in the, in 2021, it's scheduling my self-care first and then scheduling everything else around it. So, and making that self-care non-negotiable, like that, that, which is such a mind shift for me, um, cause I am the perpetual people pleaser. Um, <laughs> but when I truly made my self-care non-negotiable and I, prioritize that first and I literally like if you look at my schedule like all the things that are blocked on my schedule are making sure like I don't schedule more patients because I have my haircut you know appointment I have my chiropractic I have my massage I have all that and um that was that has definitely been a game changer for sure I call it pay yourself first yeah it's same yeah same concept yeah mm -hmm. and you get you get your eight hours of sleep, three meals a day and some movement, you know, 30 minutes of movement. And then I say, if you want to give the rest of your time away to other people, that's fine. But you do, you pay yourself in those things first. Can't drive the car without gas in the tank. I love that. I, that's such a great analogy. Cause like into me, I mean, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn. Mm -hmm. I think this is a, is a really testament to like, to tell people that like I've been frantically searching for years, like ways to feel better and thinking that there was just like this horrible thing happening despite not finding anything, right? You know, like what most people do. And once I really started paying myself first, I, I mean, this 20, as an adult, 2021 was probably my healthiest year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously it wasn't perfect all the time, but, you know, I let go of the drama of trying to figure it all out and just prioritize myself. And 
I feel great. <laughs> so and, and look how much you did. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it was a lot. I still did a lot, but I also wasn't searching. It was more of like put into action, right? It was yeah. like more of the action than the searching. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and, um, so that, um, I, there's whole bunches of things we can say, like I say, I have this workshop. Anyone listening ever wants me to give this workshop, I'd be happy to. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, you know, so we're saying too about the self-care, some of it's kind of easy, like putting yourself first and making sure you're drinking enough water. Mm-hmm. Um, if the, anything, that is my number one struggle. I have such a hard time doing that. And I've tried so many different ways to like, improve my ability to drink water and I'm I'm aware of it and so I'm like trying my best uh to get to that point um but there's some like things that we like looked about we looked to um I think it's like good to talk about the things that your physician if you're seeing a allopathic medicine doctor like what they could potentially like suggest um and then we can talk about like yes, like these can be appropriate in these instances, but like long-term, like maybe not so much. Mm -hmm. Um, So would that be okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like some of the lists I saw were like mood stabilizers or antidepressants, which again, at some point, like is probably necessary, especially like if you need to like get over a hump that the hump is just feels like Everest. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure in the, um, Ayurvedic principles there's probably some specific things you could do too to help with any mood changes well you know I think we don't have to choose one or the other so yeah there's some wonderful things about antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication like I thank God when I think of some of the circumstances that those things are there and they are um, something that we, they're the parachute we put on when we jump out of the plane and then we're going to figure out how to land. So they're not forever. Mm-hmm. Right. And we, so if you have a pill, you need a program, um, that if you're depressed, you know, you don't feel like doing anything. So taking the antidepressant at least gives you the motivation to now go put in place the things that are going to help improve your mood. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, those two years for me were really hard. One of the things that was really hard was mood. F- frankly, I would lay in bed like at four in the morning and think, you know, dying's okay. I think I could do that. <laughs> yeah, just just probably common. And despite how extreme it is, it's felt by many people. Yes, and, and um, or you know that the anger I'd feel at times. And you know, what got me through was all the meditation training I'd done and practice and the mental health counseling I had done and the tools that they had given me at the time helped me get through this very intense time. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, I had used um, mood medication earlier in my life and then learned all these other things and was able to get off of that medication. So when I went through the worst of the emotional roller coaster, I had these great tools to help me help me get through it. And um, anger is just an indicator that what's on the outside isn't matching my values. And I need needed to step back and give myself time. I, I thought that uh, my, my framing of it was I was going through a cellular transformation to step into my power that older women are important to stabilizing our, our society, um, to, to be the mature ones, the loving and get and giving people. And as you transform to become that person, there needs to be a couple of years where you can cocoon, you expect less of yourself outwardly. And, uh, and now I'm 
very productive and I'm still learning new things. And, um, you know, so it wasn't forever that, that I had to pull in. And, and so, you know, looking at these medications that are available, even if it's hormone replacement, yeah, they, they're stepping stones while you put these tools in place. Yeah. I was on progesterone for five or six months to help the stepping stone to put in place all the other things. And it, it really was a game changer, but I also knew like I wasn't going to be on it forever. Um, and so, um, yeah, from my own experiences in, in my, I guess I was 29 when I did that, 28, 29, um, that, uh, it was, yeah, it was necessary. And so uh, at the time and, now I don't need it anymore. I, so. I, I was on antidepressants for 15 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And, you know, there are some people that may have to be on these things for a lifetime. And it's like, no judgment, because what would have life been like for those people if that wasn't there? Well, maybe we wouldn't have, we wouldn't get to have them in our lives. Yep. So uh, I don't think we need to pass judgment on, on those things. Nope. If out of this whole list though, I will say the one that got me the most fired up was suggesting gabapentin. Okay. Yeah. Which (laughs) for hot flashes. And I thought that was the craziest thing I have ever heard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gabapentin FDA approved reason is for um, anti-seizure medication. And it has unfortunately been used off-label by many physicians for pain relief Mm -hmm. um, because it's not an opioid. And so if it's not an opioid, then people aren't going to get addicted, quote unquote, addicted to it and then have all the problems that we all know that lead to other problems. Um, But... I don't think people understand what what the mechanism of action of gabapentin is. Mm -hmm. And so I looked it up to be able to explain a little bit more. And gabapentin freely passes through the blood brain barrier, which is a big deal. Like not much can go through the blood brain barrier. Mm -hmm. And so then it acts on our neurotransmitters. And it's supposed to, like, it's similar to GABA, which is a neurotransmitter that mm-hmm. is essentially a the feel-good hormone or a feel-good neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. And um, so then we're literally changing the structure of our brain to use this medication. <laughs> and ironically, the side effects are more neurological symptoms, right? So like if you're actually going to use it on label, which is an anti-convulsant or anti-seizure medication, you can then have neurological symptoms, right? From the side effects. Yeah. Or if you're using it for, for pain, like back pain, the side effects is low back pain. <laughs> like <laughs> the side effect is depression. Like the side effect is neurodegenerative changes in the hippocampus, which is a part of your brain that is for learning and memory. Like this makes no yeah. sense whatsoever. Yeah. And if so, I get the soapbox in the rest of my like career, like this is going to be it. Like, yeah. What are we doing to people? <laughs> I don't get it. Like, and then I saw, then I was like diving deeper. Right. And like, I just recently watched on Hulu. If you ever want to like feel bad about yourself (laughs) watch dope sick on hulu and it talks about the sackler family now granted it's dramatized it it shows like the sackler family who is the one that created oxycontin like as the devil like i'm sure they're like truly um demonizing them a lot more than they probably were right so like let's have that but how the abuse of Oxycontin happened, right? And like how it was perpetuated. Well, I did a little bit more digging deep and gabapentin is, they're finding that people are abusing it to the level 
at some level that oxycontin was abused on because it since it changes your neurotransmitters it you're like you want it like you need it and you just keep increasing the dose and they recommend like 3600 milligrams as like and that's a lot of that's a lot like yeah and yeah so I know we just like really diverted there for a second but I really want to like let people know that if someone is recommending hot flash gabapentin for hot flashes like like that no they're doing they're doing that for breast cancer uh survivors who are on hormone blockers because they had an estrogen positive cancer and so in order to keep them on the hormone blockers they give them gabapentin and i'm like really that this is a bad idea so uh, it is a bad idea you it's so easy all you have to do is Google, for instance, natural sources of GABA. It's in our food. Yes. In our food, corn, which is like an amazing supplement company. Like if you can't get it out of food, like thorn is great. And um, they have a GABA specific supplement that my husband has been using and it's really been really helping lately. And um, yeah, there's other things it can do to help uptake GABA. And I bring us around to Ayurveda again. When, when we learn to use food strategically, the one of the things that you will know that you're eating the right things for you personally, and it is about personalized nutrition, um, you will feel calm and enlivened and enthusiastic. Like, do you feel like that after every meal? And if you don't, you, you know, consider working with an Ayurvedic practitioner or a naturopath um, that can help you or, or what the NTPs now, the nutritional therapy practitioners too, where they're looking at how to use food strategically to feel good and to manage symptoms. And this is, is, this has been around forever. Food is what makes us feel good or not. Um, Definitely. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. So what's next on the list? Next is vaginal creams. And we can use that as an umbrella term because there are medicated estrogen creams out there mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. can use. Um, and the vaginal creams are really to help with tissue quality, um, helps with blood flow, that kind of a thing. Um, and some people that is like, you know, say they have 80% of symptoms improved regarding the pelvic floor. And they just need that extra 20%, 10% to get over the hump. And that vaginal cream could be an option. Um, Do you know, for estrogen-based, do you know that estrogen-based vaginal creams are very expensive? Um, And it's not a long-term thing, but if it is over to help you get over the hump, that's an option. Um, But there are like other vaginal creams and gels that, are non-estrogen based that could also help too. Um, ones that have like pHs that are specific for um, for the, what part of your life you're in. So if you need, if you're like still in childbearing years and still menstruating, like you want a pH of four. And if you're in perimenopause or in menopause, like a pH of five or six would be more beneficial for you. Um, So finding, you know, cream, like over-the-counter creams could help in that regard. Um, There's also like CBD uh, vaginal-based creams or vulva-based creams that could be used too. So there are alternatives to um, uh, estrogen-based vaginal creams. And this is an area where often like we think of lubricants for um, making um, sexual intercourse more comfortable, but we're all talking here also um, moisturizers. Yeah. For the, yeah. so let me talk first about, uh, you know, so lub- lubricants, there's oil-based, water-based and silicone-based. Mm-hmm. And so you could just go into your kitchen and get out the coconut oil. And that makes a really nice, lubricant if the vaginal dryness is 
an issue. Um, <clears throat> and the silicone based is very nice because it's not absorbed by the skin. So it's long lasting, it can stain the sheets, um, but those are, those are very nice products if women are having issue with that. But then we don't think about moisturizing the tissue. So here's a, another soapbox of mine. <laughs> um, like you'll moisturize everything else. Why do you think that tissue doesn't need some help too? So the one product we sell in the clinic, it's called Yes Vaginal Moisturizer. And it's all natural products. The, the, the product, it, it has a timestamp on it because it'll, it, it'll go bad. You have to use it up. Um, and, um, vaginas will get dry and they'll shrink up. So they need to be stretched and, and, uh, the tissues need to be worked with, which can be shocking for some women. If you were taught, don't touch yourself, mm -hmm. um, you're going to be in trouble because you don't, vaginas can shrink to the point where they, they, they adhere and close. And now you're having chronic bladder infections because the urine can't get through. So, um, that, you know, that it's okay to touch yourself. It's okay to use moisturizer there. It's okay to stretch those tissues out so that there's maintain a patency and that, um, accepting that sex changes over time, especially after that menopause birthday. Um, and that's, you know, what probably as vaginas thin penises get softer in those age groups, you know, they go together. Well, <laughs> it works out better <laughs> instead of Viagra for crying out loud. We all don't have to have sex like a 20 year old, you know, maybe sex in later life slows down. So we can look for that connection, that heart connection more, and we have time for it. And that that can be um, very passionate and wonderful in its own way. So yeah, What's, what else is on the list? <laughs> Next is the healthy diet, which we talked about, and that's gonna be different for everybody. Everyone performs better on different types of diets out there, mm -hmm. experiments, uh, you know, like right now in the CrossFit world, they're talking a lot about intermittent fasting, mm -hmm. but that like I, my hormones were effed like when I did intermittent fasting. So like, you know, everyone is a little bit different. So vegan versus paleo, like whatever, like whatever feels good to you mm -hmm. and using, you know, if you want to find, um, your Ayurvedic based constitution like that will give you a little bit more information about maybe what would be best for you yeah. and there's a you know like in the yoga world like um it, you know uh vegetarian vegan is just held as a superior diet but in fact in um ayurveda original ayurveda they ate meat mm -hmm. so it is a very it's very personalized to what your body needs yeah. and the number of meals that a body needs maybe two or three, but it might be five or six. Mm -hmm. And uh, so paying attention to, do I feel uh, light and energetic with how I'm eating? And if, if not, then there's work to be done to modify your food so you can feel good. Yep. Next on the list, is um, performing weight bearing exercise. And what's important about that is um, any type of um, reducing any risk of osteoporosis, um, which is important, but also like, I don't know about you, but when I'm able to lift a significant amount of weight off the floor during a deadlift, like I feel pretty good about myself. So, um, you know, that's important. And then yoga is also weight bearing exercise, you know, as well. And again, knowing the yin and yang, you know, strength training and yoga are both important. Um, yeah. 
They're getting getting outside in the yep. in the daylight and appreciating yep. the world around you as you walk through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just like power walking. Yeah. And I think if you can't, if you're finding that you can't exercise, like you feel worse with exercise, that's a time to work with a physical therapist or you know somebody like that who can help find what feels good. Yep. Next on the list is improving your sleep hygiene. So that's like uh, making, so there's some techniques that can help you reduce difficulties during sleep. So keeping a routine, like going to bed and waking up at the same time, limiting screen time before bed, having a cold, dark room, uh, certain supplements can help like uh, uh, tart cherry juice, uh, melatonin, magnesium, Mm -hmm. Um, and to look at sleep as a it's as a discipline like I think people like well it didn't happen so I can't do anything about it these it as we get older it has to become um a a discipline where which means I'm gonna I'm gonna work with myself um to get into these habits um yoga nidra which is also called non-sleep deep rest. If we want to get away from the yoga world, you can find videos on YouTube Mm -hmm. for, for that practice. And, um, I think it's an important practice because you're going to need it when you die, if you die a slow death and 75% of us will. So that's my little morbid (laughs) bit of information for the day. Uh, the next one is limiting alcohol and caffeine. I think that's lifelong, right? It's not just in menopause, like everything in moderation, right? Mm-hmm. Next is um, practicing meditation or other stress management techniques. And, you know, maybe for some people, stress management is actually like throwing, like going to axe throwing, you know, like they <laughs> want to like be able to throw an ax in a safe environment. And that's a nice one. I've heard of too. Um, I don't know if you have any in the Tri-Cities, but there's these rooms that you can like get a baseball bat and they have like stuff in the room and you can just like put glasses on and a hard hat and you just like hit things. Like <laughs> I think that would be an appropriate stress management uh, technique. <laughs> that's cool. Next one is like quit smoking, which again, that's a lifelong thing. Um, it's amazing too, because uh, it's that's highly recommended when you take birth control. Um, but also if you're on estrogen, like if you need hormone replacement for a little bit, like hormone replacement acts as the same, has the same risk as birth control, which then increases like stroke and blood clot. And then smoking just makes that even worse. Um, so those were like the more like medical stuff that was recommended. And then obviously for us, we can add physical therapy, Ayurvedic, chiropractic, massage, um, nutrition, acupuncture. Um, there are specific, um, supplements out there too. Um, I have a list, but if anything, there's a one, a, a board certified, um, OBGYN, um, her name is Dr. Brighton. Mm -hmm. And a lot of her stuff is like to help women with uh, menstruation and like post birth control syndrome. However, I found a great list and a great article about perimenopause too um, on her website. So Dr. Brighton, her name, Jolene Brighton, um, has a great list of some supplements that can be used um, as well to help through all of this. Mm -hmm. There's getting to be so much more information out there. Um, And yes, there are supplements that help with the symptoms of menopause that are, uh, um, Remifem is one, uh, a product out there that you can look into. I did a quick search and our, um, our bodies ourselves, which is an excellent source of information. I had a list of perimenopause resources and there was women living better, um, was one that stood out to me, understanding how hormonal patterns change in the lead up to menopause. Um, learn how symptoms that can begin 
while your periods are still monthly, um, investigate your symptoms and explore options during this transitional time. So uh, yeah, take, be proactive, take action now. And um, yeah. yeah. There's also like hormone testing. So not just estrogen and progesterone and follicle stimulating hormone, but what your thyroid's doing, what your cortisol is doing. Um, that would be good. Um, and then if you want to know what your um, Ayurvedic based uh, dosha is in constitutions, um, Banyan Botanicals has a free test that um, can get you started and then can also give you recommendations. Yeah. Um, so that can help too. Yeah. And I hope women will take time for this because um, medically their answer is hormones, even hormones to block periods. And we've talked in the past about the negative consequences of that. And, and um, the, what it takes to make these changes here, we just skimmed through this list. We don't adapt these new changes without uh, somebody walking alongside us to support us, even if it's just a group of friends that are committed to that process. It's, it'll be too easy to slip back into the way that's being promoted by pop culture. Mm -hmm. And, and so um, I hope women will take this, this time to help themselves now for what to have a better future. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. <sighs> I like it. Okay. The big topic. Yeah. Yeah. A good overview. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is a good topic. Maybe there's, maybe we'll touch into it again. Go along. Okay. okay. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.